couple of announcements. So Wednesday, we are, um, have our Bible study, and I guess we will be uh, finishing up. <laughs> We've already finished the book of Revelation, but we'll do a summary, and then we're going to talk about the millennial. So that'll be on Wednesday night. And then Saturday, Saturday morning at 9.30, ladies have a Bible study. And again, wear your mask. <laughs> and come in, and, you know, we separate. Separate, don't have to wear your mask in the service, but separate and do those things. Um, what else? Saturday morning, we said, at 9.30. And, of course, our Sunday school is at um, 9.30 on Sunday morning. And, uh, no, excuse me, 9.45 and 10.45. After 40 years, you'd think I'd get it straight. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks for praying. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor gets it straight. So anyhow, 9.45, 10.45, keep those things in mind. And also, oh, uh, offering, we have it around the uh, auditorium. But also, if you'd like to send your tithes offerings, we pray you would send them and honor us with God's gifts in your life to Winber Assembly, uh, Box 361, Winber PA, 15963. Box 361. All right. Thank you very much. I think that's all of the announcements we have. Uh, so this morning, the message that uh, I, I have is God's story part two. We did God's story part one two weeks ago, and then, of course, last week is Thanksgiving. And then today is God's story part two, Cain and Abel. Uh -huh. I thought maybe that gets your attention. Everybody perk up. But, you know, didn't happen. So anyhow, Cain and Abel, you know, the mark of Cain. Well, don't worry, I'm not going there. But anyhow, what is, it, what is our life and what is our um, connection to these two individuals? Um, how do we connect? We talked about the connection we may have with Adam and Eve, but also with Cain and Abel. But when it, going back to the idea that the Bible, God's story, is a book of revelation, not the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, but the entire book from Genesis to Revelation is a revealing of who God is. And the, the Bible reveals to us God. Now, it does not explain God. The Bible doesn't start out saying, you know, God having to explain himself. It's that God is. End of story. <laughs> you know, some, you know, some people, you know, well, why, why, why doesn't he tell us who he is? Well, he did. God is, and that he created all of this, and he put all of this in motion, and he created us, and we were created, as we said with Adam and Eve, we were created to walk with God. We were created to be with God's fellowship and friendship with him, and, and that he would come and walk with us. So he doesn't explain himself, he just reveals himself. He reveals his character, and he reveals his person. The Bible states, in the beginning, God. So, in the beginning, God. So, there is no uh, idea. I always like the idea, before the beginning began, God is. <laughs> so, before the beginning began, and whenever we're talking about the beginning, we're talking about time. Time is the beginning of what we know time to be. And so, eternity past and eternity future, there is no time. So, we know time as in creation and in the creating of time. In the new heavens and new earth, we studied in, uh, in Revelation that there, there is no night there because there's an eternal light, the light of God shining throughout the new heavens and the new earth. So there is no night there. 
so you can only sleep in the daytime. Just kidding. <laughs> There'll be no hoodow, no night shift. <laughs> so to those of you who know what that is, um, I remember my dad always talking about going, you know, working hoodow. You know, that was the night shift in the coal mine. So. so God was there when everything began. And it's interesting that other religions and others, other religions claim prophets and they claim speakers or divine connections or oracles or, you know, other religions. And it's generally about the prophet who spoke or the teachings that they, they represent. But there is, there is never a connection to the beginning of all things, to the idea that they created all things, that somehow these other religions show up with their, with their um, philosophies and, and, and so on. It's like, uh, I remember the story, the scientists came to God and said, we've now arrived, we can create man. And we can create man, uh, and, and God says, well, that's good. And they said, yeah, we can create God out of the, and we can create man out of the dirt. And so they reached down to get the dirt, and God says, make your own dirt. <laughs> so that's, I know, don't give up my day job. But we find that the Bible, and this was interesting, I knew these facts, but I just thought I would try to, rem I looked them up again. But the Bible was written by 40 men. Uh, there are 66 books, and it was written over a period of 1,500 years, over three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. We have that over, um, over 400 times in the Bible, it says, thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah likened the, um, the word that he wrote as something burning in his chest that he just had to exclaim, he just had to proclaim, Scripture talks about holy men of God were moved on by the Spirit of God. God breathed, not dictated. God breathed in the individuals they wrote. You know, it's interesting if you look at, um, I think it was Isaiah, Isaiah or, I skips, skips my mind right now, Isaiah or Jeremiah, I think it's Isaiah, was uh, probably the most educated of all the individuals who wrote in the Scriptures, and his vocabulary shows it in his writing. And then there's... Um, was it Habakkuk or one of them was a farmer and he you know he had no formal education and his vocabulary is very limited but he still expresses the the uh, the word of God he still expresses the interpretation or that interpretation that God breathed into him and he wrote it out so the writers were shepherds kings farmers priests poets scribes fishermen adulterers murderers and auditors hmm traitors, <laughs> and embezzlers. All those individuals were part of writing up and putting together the Bible, but you see, the authors all presented different perspectives, but they proclaimed the same one true God and the one same way of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what makes the Bible such a unique collection of books. It isn't one author giving a revelation of who they are and of God. It is, it is all of those authors over 1,500 years proclaiming the, the, the different perspectives, but all centrally focusing on one Savior, Jesus Christ. And you can go to every book in the Bible and see Jesus there. So whenever we're talking about the Bible, then the, the story of God, you, you can't pick out one subject. You know, I always remember... <laughs> 
when I was a kid growing up on the farm, we, we had different individuals who would come and stay and work at the farm. And one guy, he, you know, he, he never, we went to church. I was in church always. You think you go to church? I'll tell you what going to church is. <laughs> went to Sunday school, went to Sunday morning church, went to Sunday night church, went to Wednesday night church. <laughs> you know, and then if there was extra meetings, we went. And we had a farm. And we milked cows before we went to church. <laughs> so, you know, and we did just, you know, all, all growing up. And so with all that, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> so when the beginning began, there was God. <laughs> oh, anyhow. On to something. Oh, we had this guy. Ah, that's it. We had this guy who was at our farm. He was working. And, you know, he comes to me and he says, you know, I, I, would, I would believe in God. I know I would believe in God. And, but I just have this one question. I thought, oh, wow, what's this going to be? He said, where did Cain get his wife? That's like, you got to be kidding me. You know, <laughs> is that's your question? Well, we'll figure that out as we go on here. But anyhow, the Bible, as the revelation of God, it comes to us and we see the stories and we see the prophets and we see how the God spoke through different men, led different individuals, and how the individuals broke those commandments and broke those laws and met failure and defeat only to turn their back Turn their, turn their lives around and get focused again on God and things changed and their life turned around to be something great again. So the Bible is a book of revelation that reveals God, reveals God's character, that he is a character of love and of mercy and of grace, reveals his desire, God's desire to be in relationship with his, with his creation, with his children. That's God's desire to be in relationship with us. Reveals this desire that he would walk with us as he did with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Reveals his divine plan for creation and the new creation in the book of Revelation. So, two weeks ago as we looked at Adam and Eve, God's love for them and, and his friendship and his commands to maintain the structure and order in this new creation... He gave them only one command. Do not eat of the forbidden tree. And we find that that one commandment, they were not able to keep. And they broke that, com that commandment. And typical of disobedience, we do not see the trajectory of where that one, you know, what's one commandment? What's, what if I just do one thing wrong? Well, it's more than just doing one thing wrong. In this case, it was breaking the entire law of God by their actions. And fortunately, we are able to have an understanding of how God forgives and restores and brings us back into right relationship. But we often fail to see the long-term effect of that seemingly harmless act of disobedience. <laughs> what does it matter? How is one thing wrong going to change our lives? Well, we know that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, and we know that they went out in animal skins, meaning that God provided for them a sacrifice, a covering, and that they were, their sins were covered, that God provided that for them. But the first time they experienced this dread of separation from God, 
You want to know what hell is? Hell is an eternal separation from God. See, none of us here know what that is. Even if you, you don't even believe in God, you don't know what it's like to be separated from his presence. His presence is around us. He's everywhere present. There's no place we can be that God is not there. And there are people in places that God is there that they refuse to open their lives. And that can be in church. And it can be in nightclubs. It can be anywhere. God is present with us. And people don't know what it's like to not have God's presence. They think and they, they feel secure. But it's not the security they find in themselves. It's the idea that even God is there and that they can do what they want and it'll always be okay. Well, it, the, we'll <laughs> mankind will find out later on in the tribulation period that it doesn't work like that. For Adam and Eve, instead of Eden, they found a hardship. hardship. They found work and toil. They found scratching themselves out a, out a living, living out an existence on a world that was inhabited only by them. You know, they never found, the lonely, never found it so lonely as they did whenever they were expelled from the garden and God didn't come to walk with them anymore. And you see, in our lives, we don't, we don't recognize how privileged we are that we can walk with God every moment of every day. See, these are the parallels that we find in our relationship with God. And, you know, from Genesis, these first few chapters that we're looking at, how that from God's beginning to where we are at in Christ, it depicts for us this understanding of walking with God. And it isn't us trying to make God come to us, it's us realizing that God is already here. He's already established this relationship that we are to have with him, and he only asks for us to open our hearts to be receptive. Well, in the course of time, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. They were promising young boys, and I, I read a little clip that said, Remember, Adam raised Cain. <laughs> Adam raised Cain. Now, some of us would think of, you know, you're out raising Cain. You ever hear that expression? You know, it was about doing, you know, you're out living life up, huh? <laughs> raising Cain, but Adam raised his son, Cain. Abel kept the flocks in Cain. He worked the soil as a farmer. And in the course of time, they brought their sacrifices to God. This is how we are introduced, really, to them. Cain brought some fruit of the soil as an offering to God. And Abel, he brought the fat portion or the select portion of the firstborn of his flock to God as a sacrifice. Cain's offering was without favor. That's a word that we hear a lot of today, the favor of God. Favor of God is the mercy of God, grace of God, that God in his grace bestows blessing and bestows you know, upon us that the favor of God is upon us. And we don't realize that as much as you know, we, we should be, that God loves us and his favor and his blessing is upon our life and because his grace and he looks at us more favorably. Why? Because we are his children. And because we, we have that place, that privileged position of favorite son, favorite daughter, 
And we're all in that place. Each one of us occupy that specific place as the favorite child of God. Now, we'd say, well, how can that be? Well, you, you put it in your own context. I can't have, I have two kids, they're both my favorite. I have ten kids, they're all my favorite. Well, it's hard, we can't do that because that's, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not wired that way. But God, now that's a different story. So Cain's offering was out the favor of God. God did not approve of Cain and his offering. Notice that there's a distinction. It says, God did not approve of Cain and, slash, stop, <laughs> and his offering. So the Bible does not say why, God's rejected, why God rejected Cain's offering, but we know that he did. And it was not because of the offering. Sometimes we skip over that God was not, you know, he was displeased with Cain and his offering. His offering was of the field. Now, well, then it was a lesser offering, and why would God get mad at Cain for bringing stuff from his field? Well, later God would ask for people to offer the fruits of the laborer in the field. That's, that wasn't the problem. It had to be the attitude of the presenter. The Lord looked, verse 4, the second part says, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. The Lord looked with favor, divine favor, divine approval. You see, we live under that divine approval because our sins have been washed and the offering, we are a living sacrifice unto God. This system that was in place back then is not gone. It's been replaced by Jesus Christ on the cross and his living and his resurrection from the dead. And he ever lives to intercede for us. And he, you know, he, he died for our sins and rose so that we also would rise with him. So we find that it's different, but the indicator is the favor of God is upon Abel. And the favor of God is upon us. But Cain, here's this indicator. But on Cain, his offering, he did not look with favor. God did not look with favor. Hmm. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So God did not look with favor upon Abel. And so therefore, excuse me, upon Cain, and he did not look with favor upon Cain. So therefore what he brought was, was, not, was not valuable. So his offering was made, lost what its um, intended benefit. It lost its benefit because of the attitude of the one who presented it. Verse 6 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Why do you look so disappointed? So you see, God was presenting to Cain his grace and his mercy with a confrontation. Cain, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what's wrong with your attitude, basically? Why are you downcast? Why are you disappointed with this? He was telling him to look at himself with an open perspective. Look in the mirror, Cain. There was no mirror, but you know, look in the mirror. <laughs> Examine yourself. We examine ourselves according to the word of God, not according to guilty manipulation. <laughs> the Bible is not a manipulator. The Holy Spirit is not a manipulator. The scriptures are not about manipulating you into doing something good. So, you know, manipulation is getting you from where you are to where you need to be, so therefore, it doesn't matter how you got there. No. No. 
God leads his people into heaven. He doesn't manipulate them. You are to make choices. You are to understand your choices. You are to understand that God forgives. He doesn't manipulate. Manipulation is a way of just creating a bondage. And God is about liberating and setting us free. So God will not manipulate us. He will cause us to look at the truth and what will happen, the truth will set you free. So if we have a wrong attitude, if we need to change who we are and need to look at life in a different perspective, God will confront us with that. Why are you, why do you have this attitude? Giving thanks. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What is God wanting us to do? He's wanting us to look at things from a perspective that he is going to turn them into good. It may not be good, but God and you together with faith can make this good. So I give thanks to God. We have a positive approach to what is a disappointing experience. should write that down. That sounds good. A positive approach to a disappointing experience. He almost forgot it. Divine revelation comes and it goes. That's why I didn't write the Bible. <laughs> you gotta laugh. You can see me more clearly, can't you? All right, so. So God presented, God was presenting to Cain his grace and his mercy by challenging him to examine his motives. The purpose of bringing the sacrifice was for Abel, for Abel it was to please God. For Cain, it was to bring a better sacrifice than Abel. (laughs) One was to be better in the sight of God than the other. You know, we were talking about uh, years ago in the Pittsburgh area, there was, this was 40, 50 years ago, uh, Churches were very competitive. I mean, they had bus ministries and going back and forth. And I remember being at a meeting <laughs> and the one preacher went up to the other and he says, if you drive your bus past my church one more time, I'm going to blow the tires off it. You're out there stealing kids from my neighborhood. And you do that again, I'm going to blow your bus up. With love, of course. No, <laughs> he's going to blow the tires off the bus. You see, we can, be, we can be so, you know, did they recognize what they were doing and saying? I was standing back listening to this, and I thought, oh, I don't think I want to be like that. <laughs> you know, but they didn't, they could, because they were so caught up in what they were doing, they didn't see the attitudes that they were portraying in their churches and to their children and, and you know, to each other. Cain, I don't think, understood what he was doing and his perspective that he was living in. And God's telling him, Cain, why are you like you are? Why don't you see something wrong with this? Well, if you do what is right, see, Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? Verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Won't you be accepted? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? 
This is God talking to Cain and saying, if you do the right thing, you will be accepted. He didn't say, if you will bring the right sacrifice. He says, if you will do the right thing, you will be accepted. Now, for us today, doing the right thing is allowing the Holy Spirit to touch our lives and, and to guide us into the truth and the truth of his word, to believe and to understand that God's grace and mercy is there. But we go on and it says that in verse, chapter 4, verse 7, the second part, Cain, do the right thing and you are accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It, de it desires to have you, but you must master it. Did you notice that in the book of Genesis, sin is crouching at the door? In the book of Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is standing at our heart's door. <laughs> the bookends of the Bible. Sin at the door, Jesus at the door. And so he says, you must master it. And in that period, in that moment, God was there with Cain saying, you must master it. And he's almost like saying, I'm here with you to master this. And when the Holy Spirit is with us, the Holy Spirit is saying, you and I, we can do this. We can make this work. So Cain, he just, he was in this, the same temptation that went to Adam and Eve are the same temptations that came to, to Cain. And there's a whole but here, but Cain felt he looked bad in the eyes of God because Abel's sacrifice was approved. But wait a minute, it wasn't the sacrifice, it was the person. Hmm. But Cain didn't see that. Cain felt bad. He felt downcast because his brother, younger brother, was always better than him. Cain felt Abel blew his status with God and the family. He always outdoes me. The sin of comparison. If I can just get rid of Abel all my life, all my problems will be over. Well, I'll move on here. Adam and Eve, I don't think they comprehended the fullness of God's covering in their life. Because I think, you know, for Adam and Eve, they're the ones who lost out, the, lost the most because they knew what it was like to walk with God. They knew what it was like for God to come and greet them. You know, go out for their evening stroll and there's God with, and God shows up and walks with them. Now, they don't have that anymore. And their whole life is now scraping out a living on this land, and they're raising their children, and I, I wonder sometimes if they live in regret of the sin that they had committed. And so sometimes we do not comprehend or understand the consequences for our actions. Sometimes we don't understand the forgiveness that God has for us. Sometimes we do not allow the forgiveness of God to wash us completely where we are free of our sins and that the past does not have to dictate the present or the future. Because we are forgiven. We have a different, we have a different perspective, a different understanding than the covering of the Old Testament. We have the washing and regenerating of the new, of Christ and his resurrected power and the Holy Spirit in our life and the word of God in our hearts and our minds and you know, helping us to direct our lives. We have all of this bringing us to our relationship with God. 
Well, I think sometimes just as Adam and Eve, sometimes I think we feel like we've blown it in the eyes of God because of things of our past. Downcast. But you know, they're all gone. Christ has forgiven us. God declares to Cain in verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You must master it. For us, we have Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have the work of the Holy Spirit come upon us in the book of Acts. You receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. But then we have verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, now God has spoken to him, if you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? But sin is at your door. What are you going to do? Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go to the field. (laughs) Premeditated murder. This lets us know that Cain's heart was hardened, was bitter. It was filled with envy and strife. And he was willing to kill his brother just to get rid of, just to get rid of him. And so while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. <laughs> so Cain now knew the, what anger will do. You know, sometimes we feel good with anger. You know, oh, we're controlling and, you know, whatever that happens out of anger and resentment. But now he knew what sin will do and how it crouches at the door. Now he knows the full impact of it. And, you, and I wonder about Adam and Eve, how that they would have reacted to this situation because they have lost two sons because of their failure in the garden. <laughs> See, no, we, don't, we know that Christ forgives us and the consequent, no, all that changes in the New Testament. But we find that here, that here they, they had... You know, they not only lost their relationship with God in the garden and they had to go out, but the two sons that they thought were so, the rest of mankind depended upon, they're now gone. Well, the Lord said, Cain, where are you? Where are, where's your brother Abel? <laughs> Cain, <laughs> I don't know. Why don't you go find him? Am I my brother's keeper? You ever notice how some people have an attitude with God? And, 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 you know, and sometimes we say, well, what's the mark of Cain? You know, people have all these crazy ideas. Well, this is the mark of Cain, and that's the mark of Cain. Well, you know what? What if the mark of Cain was the attitude of anger and resentment? What if it was that everywhere he went, people would have nothing to do with him because he was a bitter, angry man and he lived it, he showed it, and people were just resentful of him and his presence. And, you know, so in that context, we, we all kind of have that mark. But, but the Lord is there. The Lord is here. And we find that the Lord said, what have you done? (laughs) Now, God already knows. 
Just like he knew the attitude of Cain, you know, and, and he says, you, you have these choices, and you have to make the choice, and you have to master it. And he says, what have you done? <laughs> Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And you know, sometimes we look at our society and people that do what Cain did, the mark of Cain. They live it. And there is a voice that's going to speak one day to them, listen, listen, the blood of your victims are crying out to me. Listen, the wrongs that you have done, they, the, the cries of those that you've hurt and the anguish of those that you've injured cries out to me. It's all there. Because we know that in the book of Revelation at the end when they stand before God, the books are open and they are judged according to what they have done. <laughs> That's the people who are lost. And that will be the same type of judgment that is here for the people in God's perspective here with Cain. What have you done? And for Cain, he was kicked out. <laughs> he was made a wanderer. So God tries to correct our attitude. That's his grace and his mercy. He always asks us to look at ourselves, examine, them, examine your heart in the light of the word, in the light of the relationship of Jesus Christ. Not guilt and manipulation. There is a sense of knowing that this is what is right and this is, I have, and I didn't measure up. Now, I've got a very real problem, but I find that I have a very real God. So now I ask my very real God to take care of and help me with my very real problem. He doesn't manipulate me into doing something. He calls me to become closer to him, not distance my relationship. He calls us not to wander in the wilderness. He calls us into relationship. He calls us into a place of forgiveness and understanding. He calls us into a, a place where we could be like Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden. And he comes and he walks with us in the cool of the day. That he walks with us, I will never leave you nor forsake you that I'm never so far away as to be just near. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives, and so God would not abandon us. He would walk with us in each of these situations. So with Cain, his sacrifice, he came with the wrong attitude, which resulted in a rejected sacrifice which resulted in feeling downcast and pushed away, which resulted in anger and vengeance and killing his brother, which stemmed back to the wrong attitude. <laughs> the mark of Cain? Perhaps it's that vengeance. Perhaps it's that hatred, that murderer, that wanting to destroy but we find in verse 11 and 12, now you are under a curse. This is, this is uh, Cain. Driven from the ground which, you, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When, you're, when, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops. Uh, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. <laughs> so we are not left to be a restless wanderer. 
we are called to be part of the body of Christ. That we are examining our heart in the light of God's word, in the light of his Holy Spirit. We allow the Spirit to lead us in grace and in mercy and in divine favor. God looks upon our life with his divine favor and blessing. How can he take us from where we are, lead us from where we are to where he wants us to be? How can we grow from this position of an individual that we are at this moment in time and become that child of God that he has for us to be whenever he comes at the end? Because he says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it before you go to meet him, whether in this life in natural death or that when Christ returns. He, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. So God is on a mission to be your savior, to be your friend, to be your guide, to allow his divine favor to be poured upon your life, that he has a purpose, a plan. He goes before us. We are able. <laughs> we are able. God is able to deliver us. He's able to set us free. So we find that as we examine our hearts and our lives, we know that God is leading us each step of the way, and we are to be thankful, thankful for where God has brought us from. And it's not a problem to examine our attitude because God is not trying to push us out. He's trying to bring us in. God is not trying to push us down. He's trying to lift us up. He's trying not to let us be prepared for our life here, but to prepare for our next life, which is eternal and we know that what we do for Christ will last forever. Shall we stand? Father, we thank you that your revelation, your revelation of you <laughs> comes to us through the scriptures, through your word, and Lord, your Holy Spirit helps us. Come to us now, God, let us be aware of your presence. You're already here. No matter where we are listening to this, you are already there with us. And you are the one who tugs our hearts, calls us to become closer with you. That, Lord, you will forgive us, restore us. You continue to work in our hearts and lives. You continue to lead us in the path of righteousness. You continue to pour blessings upon us. You continue to just... Be our Savior, companion, and friend. We are grateful, and we thank you. We don't understand why things happen the way they do, but God, we trust you. So we give thanks to you knowing that everything, everything, everything will come to a divine good. So we look for that good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus himself will answer our prayers. Amen.